Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. I mean, there stood Pharaoh, surrounded with the finest that the world had to offer. Servants all around him, enormous wealth, pampered on every side. And by stark contrast, there stood Jacob, worn out, tattered. And yet Pharaoh knew that he was standing in front of a person that he needed to get his blessing. Pharaoh knew that he was standing in front of a man of God. And Pharaoh knew that he needed the blessing from the man of God. So Pharaoh bows his head before Jacob, and Jacob gives, and Pharaoh gladly receives Jacob's blessing. He needed the blessing of the struggler. As a matter of fact, with all those struggles in Jacob's life, it's no wonder to us when we read of the momentous night in Genesis 32, where we read in Genesis 32, 24, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. That night was like a comment on all of Jacob's life. He wrestled with a man, and there wrestled a man with him. That's Jacob's life. He's the wrestler. He's the struggler. And then God commented on Jacob's life in Genesis 32, 28, and he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. God saw Jacob as a struggler and a prevailer and he had power in his struggles and in his wrestlings with God and with man. So for us to read in Exodus as we're here now that Jacob came into Egypt, it just about takes our breath away. Just to look at Jacob straggling his way into Egypt is amazing. After all his life struggles, he actually made it into Egypt. That's amazing. The whole family made it into Egypt. That's amazing. And we just take a moment there in that site in Exodus, and we savor the sight. We savor the sight of Jacob the struggler walking into Egypt and of his sons walking into Egypt. And we can't help but see as we savor that sight the parallel in our lives. We see in Jacob the struggler, ourselves the strugglers, because of what it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We see in Jacob ourselves because of what it says in Acts 14.22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much 
tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Paul warned us that to live a godly life in this world was to attract or draw to ourselves persecution. That's because the Christian who honors God by the way he lives, he just brings guilt on the lost, and the lost will go after that person. And so Paul said that that we will look just like Jacob as we enter the kingdom of God with much tribulation. And like Jacob, as we stagger our way into heaven, everyone will be amazed and they'll say, you made it? You actually made it after all? As we enter heaven, we'll be singing amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Jacob coming into Egypt was quite the sight. And when he came into Egypt, Jacob and his family were put in the most lush and the most beautiful part of Egypt. You see, the Nile River is very important. In fact, the whole country of Egypt is really all about the Nile River. And as the Nile starts in Central Africa, it starts there as what's called the White Nile. And it flows from Lake Victoria and those surroundings through Tanzania And it meets up with the other river called the Blue Nile in Ethiopia. It's the longest river in the world. And as it continues to travel and make its way through all of those countries and lands and ground, all along the way, the river is picking up rich minerals and, and nutrients of the soil as it passes over. And so as the Nile gets farther and farther in its course, it's more and more Uh, nutritive for growing. And so as it passes to the end, it comes into an area of Egypt called Goshen before it empties into the Mediterranean Sea. And when it overflows in that area, it's lush. It's beautiful because it's carried all those nutrients. Now, that's exactly where Joseph chose to place Jacob and his family. After a life of struggling and suffering, Joseph brought them to a new inheritance, the land of Goshen. And as they came into that land of Goshen, they must have looked at each other and said, whoa, this is beautiful. And as they looked themselves, they said, yeah, and we've each been kept to make it here by the power of God. Freeze that picture in your mind because it's a perfect picture of how we are described in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. When the news came to Jacob that Joseph was alive and calling for him to come down to Egypt, it was such a new hope for Jacob. It was the hope that actually was made him alive. The hope of seeing his son Joseph again, it was like a new birth for Jacob. He felt alive again. In the same way, when we are saved and we heard that our Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, is calling to us, to come to heaven. That hope is so strong, it's a living hope, and it's accompanied by a second birth. And Joseph brought Jacob and his family into the rich land of Goshen. And Jacob knew 
that that was the best part of Egypt. Why? He knew Egypt like the back of his hand. Remember, this is Joseph who had crisscrossed all of Egypt when he was working for Pharaoh and the people to build those strategically located storehouses and making those deals to buy the grain during the seven years of plenty from all the Egyptians. And so he was well familiar with the land of Egypt and he knew exactly where the best land was and it was the place of Goshen. And Joseph was so excited to be able to present that wonderful land to his family. Joseph couldn't wait to say, now just look where I'm bringing you. This beautiful land, this is gonna be your land. This is the place you're gonna live. And picture that from 1 Peter 3, we just read 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, when the Lord Jesus Christ, he brings us to heaven and he's so excited to say to us, now I want you to see my gift to you an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. It'll never fade away. I've reserved it for you in heaven. You are here to receive it because you've been kept by the power of God. When we get to heaven, our theme is going to be the only reason we are there is that we were kept by the power of God. Now, in Exodus 1.5, it emphasizes that there were 70 souls that came into Egypt. From those 70 plus Jacob plus Joseph's family that was already in Egypt, the whole nation of Israel was built. That picture of that small group, these were the founders of the nation of Israel. These were the founders of the Jewish people. They started the job of building the Jewish people up. Sort of reminds us of uh, like Noah, when Noah, when flood was over and the ark had come to rest on Mount Ararat and the door swung open, Noah came out and his family came out to an empty world, an empty earth. And Noah's family left the ark with their charge from God, which was to replenish the earth. And the three sons of Noah stepped out into an empty earth in Genesis 10, and they each went their own way, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and they, those three sons became the nations, the Goyim, the Gentiles, the nations of the world. And if you track in the Bible from the Genesis 10, those nations which sprung out of those three, you'll see that those sons of Noah became around 70 nations, around 70, something in the 70s. That's not a coincidence because of what it says in Deuteronomy 32, 7 through 11 about the Jewish people. It says, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask thy father and he will show thee, the elders, thy elders, and they will tell thee, when the most high divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set bounds. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them and beareth them on her wings. God has an interest, and it's expressed in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word. Not willing 
that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That interest is also expressed in 1 Timothy 2.4, speaking of the Lord, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And of course, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. God does not want any son of Adam to end in hell. God does not want anyone to perish. God wants all to be saved. There is a message, the gospel message, by which God saves man. And he wants that that message is heard. He wants that that message is received. He wants that that message is obeyed so that all men can be saved. So what did God do? He gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the adequate sacrifice for all men. Now, God is the general sets up the nations. And as they go to land to land, it's really God leading them, giving them inheritance, setting the bounds of the nations, setting up these nations. And he sets up one nation, the Jewish people, to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. So what it means in Deuteronomy 32.8 when it says, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. It means that he set up the nations of the world so that they could all be reached by the Jewish people. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. It was as if God said that there were so many Jewish people counting them off, and each one would have a specific responsibility to carry the gospel to a certain region of the world. The Jewish man, Apostle Thomas, went to India. The Jewish people were God's officers to general God to carry the gospel. Now, you know, there's a very famous verse in the Bible, Romans 1.16, which reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And there's a lot of different interpretations as to what that phrase means, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, it's a very convenient phrase for missionaries to the Jewish people who would like to say, well, the phrase means priority. It means that our priority with the gospel should be to take the gospel first to the Jewish people. Then the poor missionary who's in Rwanda, where there are no Jewish people, no Jewish tribe, that person feels like he's not fulfilling to the Jew first. Is that really what this phrase means, to the Jew first and also to the Greek? Does it mean that our first priority with the gospel is to take it to the Jew first and then to the Greek? The question on the table is, what does it mean to the Jew first and also to the Greek? Is the statement to the Jew first a statement of our priority, that we are to carry the gospel to the Jew first and then the Greek? I don't think so. I don't think that this is what this phrase to the Jew first and also to the Greek means. Picture God as the general and the Jewish people as his officers to carry out his will when the general, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, wants to pass the most important message to man, the gospel, he gives it first to his officers. He gives it first to those he has put in the position as his messengers to the world. And who are his gospel messengers to the world? That's the Jewish people. So they get the gospel message first to the Jew first, and then they pass it on to the Gentiles. So it's written to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
So the phrase to the Jew first and also to the Greek is a description of God's priority of passing his messages to the world. That's in keeping with what it says in Zechariah 8.23, where it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That's the picture we see here. The Lord Jesus Christ has chosen to reside in Zion. And that salvation should flow from Zion to the world through the Jewish people. Therefore, the picture we see here in Zechariah 8.23 is the way the Lord Jesus Christ has established it, that through the Jewish people, the world should receive the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today, the Jewish people have estranged themselves from their God, the Lord Jesus Christ. They have estranged themselves from their purpose of bringing God's message, the gospel, to the world. The Jewish people despised, they rejected their Savior God, and they threw down his charge to take the gospel to the world. And during this temporary time of their estrangement, Gentile believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have stepped forward, bent over, picked up that rejected commission to bear the gospel to the world, and have fulfilled it. This time, when the Gentile believers have taken the rejected gospel to the world, it's called by Paul in Romans eleven fifteen as the time of the reconciling of the world. That's the age in which we live in now. That's the time we live in now when the Gentile, the church made up mainly of Gentiles, is carrying the gospel in the place of the Jewish people to the world. It's called the time of reconciling of the world. And this time of the reconciling of the world is not a complete or massive reconciliation of the world, but it is, relatively speaking, a few people. A few people in China who become Christians. A few people in Russia who become Christians. A few people in this country. A few people in that country. And it is also a very few people among the Jewish people who are called the remnant. As a matter of fact, this whole time of the reconciling of the world during the time of Israel's separation from God is a time of the saving of the remnants country by country. So it's a time of saving the remnants of the world. But the time of the estrangement of the Jewish people from the Lord Jesus Christ is temporary and coming to a close. And when it does, this will all change after the soon coming time of trouble called in the Bible in Jeremiah 37, alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And after a time of Jacob's trouble or Armageddon, all of the surviving Jewish people, which will be a one-third of them, will be saved, as Paul says in Romans eleven twenty-six. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And when this occurs, when God's lost Jewish people become God's saved Jewish people, when God's disobedient Jewish people become God's obedient Jewish people, when God's called Jewish people become God's answering Jewish people, then they will carry the knowledge of God and his salvation to the world. And something wonderful is going to happen, which is described for us in Romans eleven fifteen. 15. 
For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Paul says, when the rejecting, lost, disobedient Jewish people become the accepting, saved, obedient Jewish people, and they say to the Lord Jesus Christ, with Thomas, my Lord and my God, when they pick up that gospel that they threw on the ground and become married to that gospel and carry it to the world, it will be for the world, not reconciliation for the remnants, but life from the dead. It'll be so dramatic. And when that happens, then a very important phrase that it's repeated over and over again in the scriptures will be a reality. And that phrase is, Mitzion, me out of Zion, Zion. That phrase is out of Zion, which King David yearned for the reality of the day of the out of Zion. And he said in Psalm 14, 7, oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, were come Mitzion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, Israel shall be glad. Psalm 20, verse 2, send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion, Mitzion. Psalm 50, verse 2, Mitzion. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. Psalm 53, 6, oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, Israel shall be glad. Psalm 110, verse two, the Lord shall send the rod of his strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Psalm 128, five, the Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Psalm 134, three, the Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion, Mitzion. Psalm 135, 21, blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelleth at Jerusalem, praise the Lord. This is what God has chosen to save Israel, to save the world out of Zion. And that's why Joel said in Joel 3, 16, the Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Israel today yearns for hope. It's their national anthem, Hatikva, the hope. And in that day, the Lord Jesus Christ will be the hope of Israel. So we who are lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore lovers of the Jewish people, when we read these 70 souls mentioned in the book of Exodus here entering into Egypt, and realize that God set the limitations of the boundaries of the nations according to the number of the Jewish people, we join David and Joel with the prayer of out of Zion. And we say, Lord, do your work of bringing the Jewish people back to yourself so that the world can be saved out of Zion. Like the song goes, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Zion's sake, oh, give him no rest. For Zion's sake, for Yerushalayim. For Zion's sake, for Zion's sake. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you will fulfill your promises. And Lord, we get just on the same page with you. And we pray, oh God, out of Zion, 
Out of Zion, Lord, may your salvation come. Out of Zion, roar, bring back, Lord, Israel, lost Israel. Bring them back, Lord, and bring the world life from the dead as a result of them coming back to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 